This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Sustainable-ish podcast. How are you doing? I hope all is well and you are staying warm during this cold snap if you're in the UK. Now, I promised you last week a couple of solo Christmas episodes with last week's being the first, but I'm going to interrupt that little twosome with this interview episode because quite frankly it's brilliant and there's an opportunity to get stuck in and get involved with this one and I figured that the sooner everyone knew about it the better. So today we are talking about your local council. Excited much? (laughs) I am very aware that most of us probably limit our interactions with our local authority to maybe having the odd whinge about our bin collections and begrudgingly, in many cases, paying our council tax each month. But did you know that our local authorities have a whole lot of carbon emissions within their influence and therefore a whole lot of potential for a positive planetary impact? Try saying that after a cheeky little something or other. (laughs) But how do we know? How do we know what our council are doing and if their plans are any good and how do they compare to the county next door or a county at the other end of the country? Well, I'm so glad you asked because this is where today's guest comes in. I am chatting to Annie Pickering from Climate Emergency UK, a not-for-profit who are supporting local authorities to achieve faster emissions reductions. Last year, they assessed the climate action plans of all the local authorities in the UK and ranked them in a set of council climate plan scorecards. Now, I regularly use these scorecards in my carbon literacy training and also sometimes when I'm doing talks, when I'm talking about spheres of influence that we all have and the role that we can play as citizens. And these scorecards are a brilliant hook if you feel like you need one, to get in touch with your local authority and start a conversation about climate action. This year, they're going a step further and assessing and ranking local authorities on their actual climate actions rather than their plans. And this is where we can come in and help. Not only can we use these tools, so the current one that's looking at the plans and the new one when it's available in the autumn of 2023, to engage with our local authorities around climate action. But if anyone has been looking for a little spot of climate volunteering, looking for opportunities how they might be able to get involved with that, and especially stuff that you might be able to do from the comfort of your own home, then this could be one for you. 
Climate Emergency UK are looking to recruit a small army of peaceful volunteers to help them to assess the climate action plans of all the local authorities in the UK. A somewhat mammoth undertaking, I'm sure we would all agree. So they'll provide volunteers with full training um, and it looks like a really brilliant opportunity to get involved in something that really is having a meaningful impact. And you'll hear in our chat about some of the impact that the plan scorecards have already had. So it's super exciting to think about what the action scorecards will achieve. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts on this one. Have a look at the plan scorecards, which I will link to in the show notes. Share on social media. If you do share them, tag your local authority, tag me at Sustainableish. And I'd also love to hear if you've signed up to help assess the actions. Drop me an email on jen at sustainableish.co.uk. And if you've enjoyed the podcast this year, please do give me a little Christmas prezi of a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the podcast to grow and to reach more people. Enjoy this one. Hello, Annie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. This is something that I've been intrigued by and actually using for quite a long time. Well, I say a long time for the last year or so. Can you introduce yourself and let us know what you're here to chat about? Yeah, so I'm Annie. I'm one of the co-directors of Climate Emergency UK. And we're talking about our Council Climate Plan Scorecards, which we've already published, and our Council Climate Action Scorecards, which we are going to publish next year. Amazing. So what is Climate Emergency UK, I guess, to start with? So Climate Watch UK is a community interest company. It started back in 2019 um, for, with Kevin Freer, who was an elected councillor in Lancaster. And if you can remember back then, pre-pandemic, it was when a lot of community groups, campaigners, um, and then councils started declaring climate emergencies as like the thing to be doing following like the student school strikes and XR really kicking off in the UK. So uh, climate emergency declarations actually started in Australia, but they got picked up in the UK and loads and loads of councils were declaring them. And Kevin at the time suddenly realised that lots of people were doing it and thought there's no point us all kind of being in the dark and not connecting about this. So just started logging councils that had declared a climate emergency, obviously with the hope that all UK councils would eventually do so. Um, and since then, the organisation has kind of transformed quite a lot like it was just a list on a website. Um, and then they started realising that councils were writing climate action plans, which they hadn't done before. Um, and Kevin thought it was a good idea to kind of share that knowledge and learn from each other. So the website started logging council climate action plans that council had produced in the idea that they could yeah, learn from each other rather than having to write a new thing every time. And then... Uh, my society got involved, uh, which are a, a kind of citizens empowerment uh, organisation, and created the database, which is now CAPE, where you can really find if a council has declared a climate emergency, their climate action plan, um, and some national data. And then I came along uh, in early 2021, um, because I yeah, worked at previous organisations and realised it's all very well and good kind of saying which councils have done a climate action plan who's declared it but like how good is a climate action plan like is baths just as good as glasgow like one looks shinier one's three pages one's 30 what's the difference um so last year climate emergency uk started measuring the strength of local climate action plans as a one-off 
um, in order to do what we really want to be doing, which is measuring actual council climate action uh, going forward and creating a set of metrics for that. Amazing. So quite a few questions off the back of that. And I guess yeah. a really basic <laughs> one is, what does it mean to declare a climate emergency and what's the point of it? Yeah, good question. So this came in 2019 um, and the idea was councils were passing motions um, saying that they as an organisation were going to commit to being carbon neutral by 2030 or 2050. So or there were sometimes different dates. And often that declaration wasn't just about the council's own operations. So, you know, the cars that they drive and the council buildings, but about their whole area. Um, so, you know, if you live in Stroud District, it's about that whole district and collective emissions um, that are equal to net zero within a certain time frame. And this is, you know, really coming from recognising when a climate crisis and emissions are rising and there's a lot that needs to be done. Um, but a lot of that change does need to come at a structural level. Like if you can't recycle a lot of things outside your house, then it's much harder for you to recycle. But if the council can change the recycling um, that you're able to do from your house, then that will massively reduce your emissions and the area's emissions um, at that level. And there's loads of other examples about how like what councils can do can influence yeah, the emissions within a local area. So they couldn't just go, oh, we declare a climate emergency and sort of do nothing about it it was the idea was they declared a climate emergency and then set a specific net zero goal and can you just explain that terminology of net zero because I think it's one of those ones that we all get a little bit confused about what does net zero actually mean yeah so I think councils get confused by it (laughs) I think we all get confused by it because (laughs) some people will say net zero some people will say zero carbon some like don't like the term some do like the term right so I think I'm correct in saying <laughs> net zero is means you uh, don't produce any more emissions than the ones you are like keeping. So basically, there's a difference between zero carbon, where like you're producing no emissions, mm-hmm. and one where you say that you know, okay, whoops, we still produce like two tons per household or whatever emission. But that is like offset by the fact that we've got like a whole wood planted next to us. Um, yeah. Which like- so so you've reduced it as much as you possibly can with the technologies and finances and whatever that allows at the moment. And you've offset the remaining. But my understanding is the sort of important bit is that you've actually done the the reduction bit sort of first or alongside any offsetting rather than just going, oh, we've worked out what our emissions are and we've planted a few trees, which kind of isn't really quite yeah. going to be enough. Exactly. And you said about local authorities and you said that some have said, so obviously, if I think about my local authority is Wiltshire and Wiltshire Council, and and I can't remember what their their net zero targets are, but just as an example, they could say we want to be net zero within our own operations. So that would mean all of the council buildings, any buildings that they own, any fleet that they are in control of, they they can sort of set a net zero target for that. But a more ambitious thing, I guess, for a local authority to do is is what you were talking about to say, okay, so the whole of Wiltshire County, we want to try and make that net zero as well with all the housing and all the things that we don't control, but that might come kind of under our influence. Is that right? Yeah. And I know it sounds like huge and big and scary, but I think it's worth putting in here that um, the Climate Change Committee report in 2019, everything happened around that time, um, stated that Local councils um, have the power and of 
to influence up to 30% of emissions within a local area. Wow. They've got direct control over them. But like I said, they can influence the type of roads that are available or the type of public transport, type of insulation you've got on your council only, or the support available to private um, homeowners to insulate their homes. So there is a lot that councils can do that can have an influence on quite a lot of emissions um, in the local area. And that's really interesting because I don't know if you saw there was a, a report out last month, the month before from the House of Lords saying that they think that individual behaviour change can um, contribute towards about a third of the cuts that we need. And I'm sure there's a Venn diagram where the, the council's actions and our individual actions would overlap. But if we just take it very simplistically and add those two things up, we're two thirds of the way before needing central government to, to to come in. And that's without taking businesses into the picture as well, I guess. So that's pretty encouraging I think do you yeah definitely and you know local councils are slow and can be hard to change but I think they're definitely more nimble and in some ways a lot more exciting than national government um you know we haven't yet produced our current scorecards but we even know from our planned scorecards that like there is such variety um across local councils and some really are being really quite ambitious within the resources and the like national policy constraints that they've got so it can be quite exciting and because it's only one council like if the political will is there if there's a small amount of resources like there really can be quite a bit of change because mm, it's I think it's quite easy to sort of forget about local authorities isn't it because yeah we you know a lot of the I don't know pressure or we might feel a lot of pressure on as, as households and as individuals to make change and we'll um constantly be hearing about what the government are or aren't doing this in terms of the central government and when it comes to our local authority we might just kind of whinge about our bin collection or and not really understand kind of what they're in control of what they're not in control of and and as you said that sort of influence that they can have so what kinds of things are our local authority in control of a lot of things um but just to say like you're not the only one that finds local government confusing like (laughs) government and have an understanding but like most of my friends like most other people I know have no idea because like sadly it just is confusing in the UK like Mm. it varies in different places it's all over the place um but in terms of what powers they have so it varies depending on the type of council you live in Um, But broadly speaking, um, they have quite a lot of power. Um, So they can influence the type of houses that get get built in your local areas, whether like a new housing estate is going up, whether those homes are being built to like net zero standards, whether they're being built with the capacity to have renewable energy um, inputted into them. So that can all occur at at a a local authority level because my feeling is a little bit that the sort of... um, like my town council will say, oh, well, that's all dependent on Wiltshire Council. And then Wiltshire Council will go, oh, we're, you know, our hands are bound by national policy. And so everybody sort of passes the buck up the chain. Um, yeah. But it, it's perfectly feasible for a local authority to say, if we're going to grant planning permission for any new large housing estates, they all have to be net zero or passive house or whatever um, standards they come up with. So this is where it gets quite <laughs> Um Sort of is going to be my answer. As as it always is. (laughs) Yeah, so councils that are planning authorities, so that's, yeah, unitaries like Wiltshire, um, district councils and other, like, big councils in Wales and Scotland, um, 
can write a thing called a local plan, which is a really detailed document which describes like exactly where they want to build homes and infrastructure and how. Um, and there's a lot of things that they can request from developers. The request that uh, homes are like built to zero carbon is kind of, yeah, quite an ambitious one. Mm. And I can't remember off the top. I think only one local council plan has currently passed or maybe they're in the process. So the reason I say it gets confusing is because the council write the local plan, but the national government like review it. Ah. Um, so sometimes the government will be like, no, we don't want you to do that. Or no, like we want you to build even more homes, even yeah. though so you're going to have to put them in somewhere. Um, but there are things within current legislation that councils can do. So the government have said, for example, that energy efficiency measures for new homes can be up to 19% more than like the national or UK government standard. So oh, okay. absolutely nothing stopping councils putting that in their local plan. Was that um one nine or nine zero? One nine, nineteen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's things they can do about minimum parking standards. So for example, in Wales, the National Devolved Assembly have said councils like you don't need to have any minimum parking standards. So that means when people build ho- new homes, they're not don't necessarily have to provide space for two, three cars per household. Because you know, if we want to live in a future where we're less dependent on cars and there's green spaces available that is like not doesn't sound exciting um but it does have a big impact on the sort of place that you live in yeah definitely so we went off on a bit of a, a planning tangent there so they're they have some um influence or control over planning what other sorts of things can so you, you mentioned it the one that people always complain about bins um so they determine to some extent, again, I'm not going to try not get into the details, um, what recycling you can have um, and yeah, how often it's collected and how it is collected. You might have seen some stories where councils are trialling, you know, electric or low emission mm. vehicles. Um, councils have some influence over the food that is served in schools. Okay. They have influence over um, you know, the green spaces that they manage. They have influence over the again it's planning but it's on like roads that are built um some councils have control over the sorts of uh, bus services that can be provided and i think a kind of important one to talk about is you know councils are often despite you know being bad at rubbish collection or whatever a relatively like trusted voice in the community mm-hmm. and i think a really important role to play in kind of sharing that message and engaging their community in what they're doing um so you know if suddenly, you know, they're building a wind turbine near you, it's useful to engage that community to say, like, why and how it's working so that it's not kind of done, like, for them without yes. them being involved. Yeah. And in terms of the the buildings and things, in in a, and I guess it will probably vary from local authority to local authority, but things like leisure centres, schools, I don't know, doctor's surgeries, are they all kind of part of what the council owns and has so could they say right we want solar panels on all of our schools and they are able to do that or is that something that is done with the schools or how does that all work yeah so leisure centers I think are a good example that most leisure centers um are run to some extent by the local council it might be a private company that's running Mm -hmm. they're running it kind of for the council um, so yeah, putting solar panels on leisure centres is definitely something that councils could be doing, um, and they can have some influence over 
um, like, yeah, the energy use of schools, although obviously not for academies or private schools. Sure. Okay, so there is quite a lot that our local authority can do. And as you said, or as I said earlier, I think we sort of forget about that. And, and I've been using the um, the plan scorecards in um, my carbon literacy training. And also sometimes when I do talks and I talk about the sort of spheres of influence that we have. And one of those is our influence as citizens. And I talk about, you know, engaging with your local MP, but also I then direct people to the climate council scorecard website and get them to all have a look and then pop in the chat what their you know what their council scored and where they ranked and all that sort of thing and it's a great way of um I guess reminding people that local authorities are there and have that level of influence and also to then encourage people to use that scorecard as a hook for then engaging with their local authority so is that one of the reasons why you've why you wanted to do the, the project yeah so like our main aim is about you know reducing carbon emissions and supporting local authorities to do that because we believe they have like power influence to do mm. the like side issue to all of this um is there's like a massive democratic deficit in the uk in terms of local government um so turnout is often quite low in local governments people don't know who their councils are who their councillors are mm. and actually you know they are democratic bodies and they should be held account to the work they're doing um, and you as a resident, your voice matters because, you know, you're going to vote for them and it's much smaller numbers um, compared to kind of parliamentary stuff. So the kind of other bit to our work is kind of, yeah, holding councils to account for us on their climate action. But this could definitely be replicated on other issues because it is a kind of side issue that people are unaware of how their council works and how they can engage. Like all council meetings are public and members of the public can attend. Most people probably have no idea that that's the case or know where they are. All yes. Would find them that interesting because sadly, like... I bet they're so dull. <laughs> but, you know, it's in those councils that they're deciding, um, you know, the budget. And yes, they're limited by national government funding, but they're deciding the budget on, like, how much social care is going to get in that area or whether a new school is going to be built somewhere. Um, or, yeah, the waste and recycling or... Mm. Um, where those new homes are going to be built. So like the impact that those councils can have can be significant. Um, and yeah, we're a big fan of yeah supporting councils and local communities to bring about the change that they can do within the current national constraints. It's really exciting that we work with My Society, um, who provide a lot of kind of technical and data support with our work because they do a lot more on kind of citizen knowledge um, and democracy. So you might have heard of what do they know? Um, which is where you can send FOI requests um, through that database and then the results are published. So FOI is Freedom of Information. Yes, Freedom of Information Request. So it's a really useful tool to understand what Freedom of Information requests have previously been sent to any organisation. So it might be a council, it might be a local school, Mm. kind of public institution. And they also do write to them which is where you can really easily email or kind of send a letter to your MP about um, issues and see what other people have done and how that works. So yeah. it's really working with my society because there's that like democracy side to what we're doing um, on yeah. top of climate stuff. And I know quite a few people, this is probably a broad, massive generalisation, but I try and encourage sort of my audience and, and people in the Sustainability Clubhouse to sort of engage with their MPs and write to their MPs. And it can feel really disheartening, obviously, depending on who your MP is and what party they're in and all those sorts of things. So I guess 
either as well as or instead of maybe if we want a break from hustling our MP, we could be writing, emailing our local authority. And who would we address that to? Do we just do it, you know, info at or hello at Wiltshire Council? I don't even know how to get in touch with them. Yeah, yeah, it is really confusing. And every council is slightly different. Their websites are slightly different at varying qualities. So it is all confusing. <laughs> um, but one thing that we're going to be looking at in our scorecards is whether councils have a climate lead. So an elected councillor that has the portfolio for climate action or sustainability or something like that, mm. kind of probably chairing a relevant you know, climate change committee. Um, so that would be a good place to go. Um, and you can normally find your councillors on the website and you can find if they're in power kind of what roles they have whether they're like yeah head of housing or head of climate Mm. and but also you will have your own ward councillors and they will really really listen to you so they're councillors normally one or three which are elected to cover a small area ish i mean rural places maybe Mm. a couple more miles um but they are literally you know represented to elect you or to represent you um so you know, MPs often get like hundreds of letters every day or every week. Mm. So sometimes you get those stock responses. But councillors often don't get loads of responses from their residents. So if 10 residents are suddenly emailed yes. you, that is quite a big issue. And they may well, you know, meet with you, their local surgeries nearby, kind of talk to you personally. Um, and yeah, there's like, I think a little bit more hope for change, although sometimes councils are slow, but they are doing what they can. And I think the other important thing to note, if we are thinking about engaging with our local council about issues that are happening within our our sort of county or whatever, that and Laura Young talked about this on the podcast she was uh, came to do as a sort of debrief on COP27. But she said when there are um, often it will be stuff around planning and things in local authorities, uh, the, the most vocal voices are usually the people who are anti the cycle lane, anti the solar farm, anti the wind turbine, whatever it might be. And that those people who are in favour of it, a lot of the time we just sort of forget to say, yeah, I'd really love that. I think it'd be brilliant. And so it doesn't all have to be, why are you doing this? Why aren't you? Do-? You know, it doesn't all have to be um, sort of negative. Uh, and it, and I don't think it should be. I don't think it's hugely productive to be sort of attacking and that sort of thing. But actually saying, oh, wow, thank you so much for starting to explore more cycling infrastructure or for starting to think about how you can improve your planning yeah. legislation. I think that can be hugely powerful as well. The example that councillors I know often talk about is about grass verges and mowing them. <laughs> There's been a big wave of being like, actually, want bee, bee-friendly grass. Yes. not going to mow them all the time. We're not going to mow them in May. We're going to let wildflowers happen. And a lot of people really like that. Councils get many letters from people being like you've left the state you know it doesn't look nice what are you doing why haven't you mowed it um and those councillors and councils really need to hear from the residents like we like it we appreciate it. otherwise they just hear the people moaning yes about. when you do get change at a local level that can have a national impact so going back to the climate emergency declarations it was mainly and kind of almost entirely because of the wave of climate emergency declarations happening in councils all across the UK that resulted in the UK Parliament declaring a climate emergency. So although like structurally our local government doesn't connect to um, Parliament very well, it can have an impact. Um, and there's been other examples where, you know, councils have implemented successful policies, 
which have then kind of led to the government being like, okay, if that works there, maybe we'll kind of make it national legislation and it can happen. Mm. And I think it's really important to say that the scorecards, or my understanding of the scorecards, and you can tell me if this is wrong, aren't designed as a tool to beat councils over the head. The whole idea is it's there to showcase best practice, to let them know how they compare to other councils and to hopefully help them to up their game rather than it, you know, being something that they're just sort of going, oh God, what are they going to, you know, have a go at us about now? Yeah, so we kind of really view ourselves um, in climate emergency, like we are providing this tool. So we are trying to be as objective as possible in working out, you know, what are the impacts, what are the biggest actions that councils can take to impact on emissions? Can we measure that in any way? And how can we measure it? Create these scorecards. And then what we want campaigners, councillors, residents is to use them in their work. So yes, there may well be some campaigners who are like, hey, Glasgow, you've only said <laughs> you could do better because look what Edinburgh have done. Here's how. Mm. Um, but people can definitely also use it as a way to learn, especially for councils. Like, oh, this is a similar council to us and they've managed to implement X policy that we haven't been able to do. Great. Now I know that I can go and talk to them and understand how they were able to do that. Um, so, yeah, kind of I don't quite want to say carrot and stick. <laughs> that we're saying the stick element. But we really view ourselves as kind of, yeah, providing that tool that people can then go and use within their local context in order to push for further climate action. And interestingly, I had somebody on my carbon literacy training just last month and she worked for a local council. And I sort of um, started talking about these scorecards and I saw her sort of look a bit, I don't know, I can't really describe her expression. And I said, oh, what? as somebody who works for the council, what do you think about these scorecards? Are they seen viewed positively or negatively? And she said, well, I think her local authority hadn't done particularly brilliantly, but the scorecards had done exactly what they were intended to do. And it then sparked a whole debate and discussion within the local authority about why they hadn't scored as well as they might have hoped to, what they could do, what other local authorities were doing. So Although they might have been a bit like, oh, God, people are going to get in touch with us about this and, you know, say, why haven't you done this and why haven't you done that? But actually, in terms of change happening internally or or creating a um, demand, I guess, for you know, because local councillors were then going, oh, why did we score really badly? Well, because do you remember you voted against that? Oh, oh, right. OK. You know, it kind of sparked all those conversations, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, it's accountability in process, like in progress, in process. You know, um, the councils that scored badly often were like, yeah, you are right. Like, we didn't include these things in our plan. We didn't do that. Like, we're not necessarily saying anything new, mm. highlighting and showing to people in an accessible way what councils are actually doing. And by giving that national picture, you can understand whether that's good or not. Because if you live in Kent, you've got no idea whether Kent is good or bad compared yes. A council in Scotland or Northern Ireland or Manchester but with this and yes there are like local differences and some nuances that you can take into account it does give you a bit of a picture to be like oh Kent has done kind of badly compared to every other council like we're not on a different planet like mm. the case and so at the moment the scorecards are on council's climate action plans so the things that they've got together and they've said that they're going to do 
And as you said, really, the the your sort of aim for the project was to then be able to rank councils because it's great. We can all have wonderful plans, can't we? But actually to be ranking them on their actions. So that's what you're gearing up to be doing um, at the start of next year. Is that right? Yeah. So last week we published our methodology where we've yeah we've got 90 questions across seven sections um, that we're going to use to mark councils against on their actual action. And this is the first time this work has ever been done, which is why it's taking us a bit of time to kind mm. of work out what we can measure. You know, national government aren't yet measuring it and things like that. Wow. There's a lot of measurements happening kind of at a national and international level around COP27 and things like that. Nothing yet at a local level. So, yeah, well, like plan scorecards work. I think we thought it was a pilot, but then it kind of exploded into a full on <laughs> Um, which I think was a really good baseline to understand, you know, what councils have said they're going to do. And now we're looking at what they are actually doing. So before we move on to the methodology, just to recap a little bit on the plans, do you know, and this might be a bit mean, I don't know if you've got the figures to hand, what proportion or how many local authorities in the UK actually have a climate action plan? I can find that out for you. (laughs) in our article uh, with The Guardian will be published. I know the fact off the top of my head that 340 of 409 UK local councils have declared a climate emergency. Okay. Probably most of them uh, have a climate action plan, but that's not necessarily the case. But if you go on to CAPE, um, which is still up, which is the website we have in my society where we log those climate action plans, um, you can find out. And okay. at a moment, I might even be able to do that for you and find it out now. And I guess back in 2019, when all these councils were declaring climate emergencies, as you said, a lot of councils definitely back then and may even still not now have climate officers, have somebody qualified who understands, you know, it might just have been like, oh, Debbie from finance, can you start having a little bit of a look at this? And I wonder if the situation within local councils is quite different now in that they've realised that this is needs to be a role for somebody. This needs to be, we need to bring somebody on board with the right qualifications, with the right level of knowledge and experience and understanding. Yeah, so I definitely don't want to dismiss like previous work that some councils have been doing on climate related stuff, you know, since 2005, since 2010. But in general, um, there's been a massive wave of a kind of increased interest on this. They've been like recruiting climate action officers. Um, so if anyone's looking for a job, uh, <laughs> you can look to, um, in a way that they haven't been doing that before. I mean, often sustainability teams are small, but we often say that, you know, it's not just about having a good sustainability team. You know, the finance team need to think about how mm. it has a sustainability impact. The housing team need, need to think about you know, the impact on how people are heating their homes and where they're being built. And actually, as with the Carbon Literacy Project, it's about embedding it across all things. Just to say, I did just go and use the Cape um, Explorer to find out. And I can tell you that 326 councils in the UK um, have a climate action plan as far as we're aware. And so that's out of, did you say 400 and... 409, so about 75%. Okay, so not not bad. So the chances are, if you have a look, then you will find that that your local authority does have a climate action plan. So I think it's going to be so interesting to compare how the councils have done on their plans and how they um, do on their actions um, and to see whether a, a good plan on paper has 
manage to translate into action or whether that's something that will come. So you said there's 90 questions and you literally send that to the council and it's some some poor climate action officer's job to go through and to find all the data and to tick the boxes and and no no, no. so if you're a council staff member listening this will be music to your ear <laughs> all the work for you basically and if you're a local campaigner we would love you to help us do the marking and get involved um, wow. so um like I was talking earlier about kind of a democratic deficit in local councils and holdings of account, we're really big on transparency. So the majority of the questions we're marking, we're going to be using volunteers, which is what we did last year. Um, and we base it on publicly available information. So we get volunteers to look at, I don't know, Birmingham City Council website and find that information um, on public links and publicly available information. There are under 10 questions, I can't remember the exact number, where we're using freedom of information requests. So they will go to the council and the council have a legal, legal obligation to reply to those. And then another kind of 10-ish or so questions we're using national data. So that data is already available um, and we're just kind of at a local authority level. And we're taking that out and then giving that a score depending on how good or bad we think it is. So it's a three-stage marking process. The first stage is we have a team, hopefully, of about 200 volunteers. If you're listening, please do sign up. <laughs> I've signed up. I've signed up. <laughs> great, great. Um, who will do the first mark of all UK councils. And then we send the initial first mark to each council so they can see what we've done. And we call it the right of reply because they can kind of comment, maybe like human error. We just missed out something mm -hmm. or they couldn't find a document that actually is available online. Or, and this is true, and I quite like telling this story, sometimes councils get back to us and go, thank you, but actually we don't deserve that point because we haven't done that, even though you think we oh, have. Oh, wow. It doesn't happen all the time, but we did have that last year. <laughs> and then the final stage is we have a much smaller team of volunteers who are like pretty expert, have probably been involved in the first mark, the staff get involved, who audit the first mark and the right of reply mark in order to give the councils that final score, which is then published. It, it will be published in autumn 2023. Gosh, so it's a big old project, isn't it? Yes. And those 90 questions, are they split into to different sections? Because we've already mentioned that councils can have influence over housing and transport. And so are they split into those kinds of sections? Yeah, so there's seven sections um, with about 10 questions per section, but some are bigger than others. So the Biodiversity section is smaller than the transport section, for example. Mm -hmm. But the transport section for district councils, because they don't have much power over transport, is very small. It's like three or four questions, but it's right. questions for county councils. It's like mind boggling how much we're doing. So a data alone on questions that volunteers are marking, we did the maths and we think it's about 28,000 individual data points. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so so what sorts of questions I'm just thinking so if you've got a volunteer so like I said I've signed up and, and said I'm happy to um volunteer so you could say to me right can you go and look at Birmingham City Council and uh can you look at their transport section and uh, am I you know is it do they have a transport policy plan on there what's what sorts of questions are there on the um methodology yeah, so it really varies. And we've tried to focus primarily on actions this year rather than like, have you got a strategy? Right, yes, yes, yes. Something. Um, but for those interested in volunteering, we're going to be marking per section. 
rather than a whole council. So yeah. you have like some choice over whether you focus on transport or planning or food and waste. Um, and there's four other sections as well. Mm-hmm. And the questions really vary. So I did quite a lot of work on the buildings and heating section, um, which looks at about various things. It looks at kind of the simpler stuff. So like, does the council, has it done a big piece of retrofit on any of its buildings? So that could be solar panels on a leisure centre, as we were talking about earlier. Mm. Also looks about whether the council um, are working in partnership locally um, in order to uh, get retrofit to happen across homes in the local area, or whether they're running a skills-based approach to train people up um, in order to have the skills to do retrofitting locally. Um, it is also looking at whether councils are providing services to private home owners, owners on kind of advice and connecting them with local traders so that they can kind of make their homes more energy efficient themselves. So it really is quite varied what we're looking at, um, but equally what councils are doing is quite varied. So some will be ticking all those boxes and some really won't be. And, and all of that should be information that is available on a council's website. So we're not expecting volunteers to go out with a clipboard and tour around all of the leisure centres of, no. um, <laughs> of no. a council or and see if there's any solar panels on there. Not at all. So volunteers are going to get like full training from us. We don't just like send you off by yourself. Yeah. I, I say it all the time, but councils are really confusing and I work with them. Um, so we yeah, give a lot of training to volunteers. You work in kind of in teams with other people. Um, And all that information should be publicly available. And that's partly why we published the methodology kind of almost two months before we're starting marking. So we're giving a heads up to councils to be like, we want to see your procurement strategies. I was going to say, I can just imagine some poor person in a council somewhere going, oh, crap, we're just having to upload, frantically upload a load of stuff onto the onto the website. We've done it, but we just haven't got around to uploading yeah, but, it yet. You know, we're doing kind of in some ways quite a big public service to councils because some council websites the links just aren't working. Mm. We're probably one of the first people in six months that's gone to try and find out this link is working. Um, So we're being really helpful, uh, I hope, in that way. Yeah. Helping councils understand, you know, what is available um, for residents and, you know, is it easy to find? And so making it easier to find for residents because we want them to be engaged in what their council is doing on climate action, but also for our markers, um, it should be a much smoother marking process than last year. Mm. And I know it's way too early to even comment, but do you have any thoughts or ideas on, you know, if we take the top five councils from their action uh, plans, do you think they'll still be the top five in terms of actions or is it just completely impossible to say? For the sake of independence, I <laughs> because I we really don't know yeah there is likely to be a correlation that if you've got a good plan you're likely to score better than other councils because you've clearly thought about what you can do you've probably got some smart targets so you can actually measure and track what you're doing but equally and I will give this example because I think Kevin's okay with this so Kevin was previously involved um set up climate emergency UK he's also a councillor in Lancaster you might think, well, he's involved in climate emergency UK. Why didn't his council score super high on the Council Climate Action Plan scorecards? They only scored about 30% or so, mm. partly because this is what Kevin would say, and we'll find out whether it's true next year. They've been focusing a lot on actual action. So rather than spending that time writing detailed plans, yes. kind of um, thinking about what they could do, they've just gone and done it. Mm. 
there may be councils that have scored quite low or lowish, you know, 30, 40%, that actually in these scorecards score higher. Um, but we just don't know yet. Mm. And is there a section for, because you talked about the role that councils can play in community engagement and in sort of bringing residents along with them. Is is there a section for that, for how well they're communicating, for how well they're engaging, for how well they're informing and educating residents about the things, I guess, that residents can do as well? Yeah, so there's a question, a section called collaboration and engagement. Um, and that includes some kind of simpler things about like, do they have a climate action plan and is it accessible for cat for residents to see on the website? We've got one question um, touching on what you said about um, information for residents about be- behaviour changes they can take in order to um, yeah, minimise their climate impact. But because we recognise that councils can't make the whole change happen by themselves, yeah. It's also looking at what is the council doing working with others. So whether they're working with like health institutions, local businesses and schools within their area to have an impact. But also, are they lobbying national government in order to get those powers and get that funding to do the climate action that perhaps they want to do but can't yet do? Ah, yes. Yeah, that's really, yeah, super important. And I guess councils have got, like all um, public sectors, it's all, shrinking budgets and things and to then try and you know either hold on to or carve out some money to be um, yeah. doing all this work council's yeah. budgets have been slashed year on year since 2010 and when you start understanding that for some councils what they're doing with their climate action given you know the limited powers mm. they have is really quite impressive but then you also look at other councils who are in the same situation who are doing nowhere near enough um, right really yeah. varies on what councils are doing and is the plan I mean I, I guess the plan at the moment is to like get through this and see how it goes but longer term is the plan to to review this every year so that we can see that hopefully that our local authorities are making progress yeah because like really simply this is what we say like you can't change what you can't measure mm. you want to be able to know how you're doing and whether you're going in the right uh, direction or not so we've got enough funding to produce these scorecards next year um, and councils and ourselves would love to do it you know annually ideally um, in order to be able to track that change and see who's improving and who isn't um, so if people fancy donating and become yes. a sustainer um, donating monthly to us that would be super helpful to ensure that we yeah can keep doing this because what we're doing is like, yeah, the first in the sector, like no one else. And I think no one else in the world is doing this for wow. council climate action. Um, and we do get comments from quite big institutions and even the government who are like, hmm, we were thinking about doing some indicators on council climate action. We're like, yeah, that's what we've done. <laughs> yeah, we've just saved you a shed load of time and money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and where do... Um, town and parish councils fit into this jigsaw and are they something that you score councils on because my experience of sort of town council climate action has been relatively dispiriting yeah so there's 409 uk local authorities there are something like 6000 wow parish councils in the uk so primarily for that reason 
<laughs> just focusing on the local authority. Yeah. If someone else wants to do that work, yeah. I'm more than welcome to. Um, it is also they have much more limited powers. Mm-hmm. It's a slightly more consultative or they have powers over very specific things. So it's definitely not to say like, you know, they can't do anything. And we have seen a lot of town and parish councils declaring climate emergencies. And I think that is really important. And there is stuff that they can do within their area. Um, but in terms of kind of where that power is within your local mm. area, your you know, district, county, unitary councils probably have a little bit more influence. That's why we're focusing there. Yeah. And in that section you said about collaboration. So is there anything in there about how, because I would imagine that a lot of town councils, we talked about county councils or local authorities not a few years ago not having the expertise not having the um you know somebody on on staff or one of the councillors who understands this and I think that that situation is replicated 6,000 times around the country with um town councils and so we're getting people making decisions about what should be happening on a very sort of local level who don't really maybe understand the climate emergency and don't really understand what needs to happen. And so whether they're then holding up things that local authorities are are wanting to do, like, is there anything in the, um, in the methodology around, I guess, how local authorities can use their influence over those parish councils? Yeah. So there's not a question directly on kind of, are you working with local parish councils, but there are questions about whether you've got a way um, to engage with residents and uh, mm. through parish councils. We've also got a question about whether the council provide funding for community climate action. Oh. And, um, something that parish councils have access to and kind of, yeah, plant trees in certain areas and things like mm. that. But just picking up on what you said about, um, you know, parish and town councils often not having the skills within their kind of councils or staff set. In many respects, that's the same at kind of bigger district unitary Wiltshire council level. And even if they do have the skills, you know, council staff are often massively under-resourced and overworked. Another kind of benefit of our scorecards is we're doing all this research for them. So if they want to, I don't know, understand how they can improve their local plan, what we were talking about earlier in terms of climate action, when we publish the scorecards, they'll be able to look at, you know, the councils that scored the top 10, look at their local plan and be like, oh, mm. it did, I can do that. So we're hoping that we're, you know, saving council staff a lot of time as well by providing this tool for them in order so they can do their work um, without having to spend, you know, hours and days trying to understand what other councils are doing and who's doing what. Yeah, definitely. And to be able to go and, um, you know, cherry pick the, oh, that would work for us. And they've done that in their similar geographical location or, you know, um, demographic makeup or whatever to us. So we can go, maybe we could. And 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 presumably it helps councils to communicate with each other as well, to be able to say, oh, that's the person I need to get in touch with and well done on your plan. And can you, would you mind sharing with us X or Y? Yeah, definitely. And when we say like this is a campaigning tool, we kind of use the word campaigners in the broader sense. So there's lots of like resident climate action groups, you know, with various different names who are doing stuff who we hope will use the scorecards. There's also the campaigners who are the councillors in opposition um, who are wanting, you know, the council to do X or do Y. But there's also often kind of, in some respects, you know, campaigners within the council, you know, the sustainability staff member really wants to get this through, but, you know, another team doesn't or the councillors don't. 
And if it is something that's in the scorecards, then hopefully that's giving them a bit more ammunition to be like, well, if you do this, you know, you'll score better and will look better and this will help you. And that's so important, isn't it? That's that kind of uh, competitiveness or that, uh, you know, when when counsellors will suddenly be like, oh, well, hold on, I've had three residents get in touch with me and say we've done really badly on this. What's going on here? Well, oh, <laughs> now yeah, you're on yeah. board. Amazing. And we know, and I think you said it, um, you know, from here and from councils, when we published the scorecards, the plan scorecards, it did trigger a lot of councils to then review their climate action plans. Mm based on our scorecards and the highest scoring council. So hopefully that will be replicated with actual action when we publish the action scorecards next year. Yeah, definitely. And so before we um, finish up, was there any sort of standout bits of plans that you remember seeing from the um, from the action plans and you were like, wow, that'd be amazing if they managed to pull that off? You know what? I really cannot tell you. <laughs> That was mean putting you on the spot. It was almost a year ago. <laughs> yeah. And we looked at so many. I was really involved with the um, what do you call it? The kind of yeah, audits are looking at. Mm. And but I think one thing that did stick out is like it's not always the big named councils that are doing the best. Um, so you know, I'd like learn names of councils that I didn't know existed or didn't know <laughs> where they were in the UK because it's just not somewhere I've been or I'm not. Yes. Um and, you know, given their resources, given that, you know, they're not on the national stage, really, you know, they're doing kind of OK and pretty yeah. good. Um, and I think we'll find the same with action scorecards that, yes, you know, the big names like Manchester, Glasgow, Birmingham may do OK. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure some councils you've never heard of might also do quite well as well. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really lovely to see, wouldn't it? And for them to have that as a, a you know, to be a, a flagship or whatever that they can use. So where can people come and find out more? So if you type in Council Climate Scorecards into the website, mm-hmm. there's our scorecard website, which now has our new methodology published, but it also has all the information from the plan scorecard. So you can see how we created that um, and all the results and how your council scored. There's also filter buttons. So you can look at, you know, if you're in Wales and you just want to look at Welsh Council. Oh. We've also got a filter on like rural, urban. So mm-hmm. if you're a rural place, like how does that compare with other rural councils? Um, and then we also have our like organisational website, which is Climate Emergency UK, where we've got a big blog series about how we published the methodology and what we've included and what we haven't. And you can also sign up at both of those websites to volunteer or donate with us. Amazing. I was going to say, where do, where do people go if they want, if they're interested in finding out? And you provide everybody with, like you said, a bit of training and things. So it's not just like throwing people in blind and saying, go and find this out from this website. You're going to support them. No, in. no, not at all. There's lots of training. Um, it's all done remotely, um, which I guess hopefully is good because when yes. you're in the UK, you can get involved and we kind of yeah group you or kind of meet with other people. And we like to think we're good with volunteers because we did a bit of trial marking you know last month in order to test out this current methodology and most of the people who did that were people who volunteered with us last year oh so it can't have been too horrendous an experience no exactly (laughs) they enjoyed it so we're hoping that yeah maybe even some of them will come back again as well amazing um so I'll pop all those links in the show notes for people as well but absolutely fascinating so you're expecting to hopefully fingers crossed be able to publish the results in um autumn of 
2023 yeah um so maybe we'll get you back on on uh then to to talk us through the results or maybe um yeah it might be interesting to have some people from local councils and things on to um yeah to share what by then done, I'll but... hopefully yeah become an expert in really niche council climate action of a uh, random <laughs> around the uk yeah. <laughs> and what better area to be a, a random expert in <laughs> indeed indeed oh brilliant thank you so much for your time annie Thank you. Just say this is the first podcast we've done with Climate Emergency UK. So it's been very exciting to be on this. So thank oh, you. bless. Well, I hope it hasn't been too traumatic for you. No, it's been <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. You've been listening to Sustainable Ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small. Every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.